Hello and welcome to Joe's Boys. This is a podcast for little women, little men, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. I'm the author of the novel Both Sides Now. I'm also a writer for publications like Vanity Fair and the New York Times. And I'm here today with my very special guest, Tori Peters. Tori is the author of the, I'm going to say iconic novel, Detransition Baby, which won the Penn Hemingway Award for Best Debut Novel. It was also a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award, the National Book Critics Circle Award, and the Gotham Book Prize and a long listie for the Women's Prize. Plus, more than 20 publications named it one of the best books of 2021. So basically, run out and buy it. Pause your pause the podcast. What are you doing if you haven't already read it? Tori's next book, Infect Your Friends and Loved Ones, is forthcoming. In the meantime, she's busy riding a pink motorcycle, and she splits her time between Brooklyn and an off-grid cabin in Vermont. Tori, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm really happy to be here. I was just listening to you do that. You have a great podcast voice. Does it, do people tell you think, that? I mean, it could be no, that's the I, first time. It's <laughs> literally looking at you like it, you know, all the people can't see us behind one of yeah, those yeah. professional microphones. So maybe I'm like fooled <laughs> by that image. But as this was happening, no. I was like, I could, this is like NPR. This was a good, oh, thank you. Good intro. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. It's very exciting to have you here. I've obviously been a fan for a long time of Detransition Baby, and I'm really looking forward to the novella as well. I mean, take your time with it, let it marinate, <laughs> but very much looking forward to that. Yeah, I also can't take credit for the professional podcast, Mike. This is all, as I was saying just before we got started, this is the generosity of the Toronto Public Library, which has recording studios that anyone can use for free. So shout out to your local library. Tori, what's your relationship to little women? I have almost no relationship to little women. I okay. had never read it. I had not seen either of the movies. And I read mm-hmm. it just for this podcast. So That's so I cool. Have, <laughs> yeah, I have no preconceptions. I feel like growing up, I feel like a lot of people, they were either like little women or there was a little house on the prairie. Mine was a little house on the prairie household. So yes, we, yeah. <laughs> we did not read Little Women in the Peter household. Yes. And even though it was in the background of my life, I never, I was never stirred to pick it up. I, yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. It, so that's my relationship. Not yeah, your relationship. It's, well, so it's so cool that you're reading it here for the very first time. This is one of my favorite things about this podcast is I have people, I had the president of the Louisa May Alcott Society on and the past president. And then I'll have people like you who come in and are like, just reading it for the first time. And we get your raw impressions. That's very cool. So you said that you were a little house household. And that leads into a follow-up question from one of our listeners, Stephen Ira. And he says he wants to know what you loved reading as a kid. Well, my family's from the Midwest. My mom was, her family was, I, I don't know, they were some sort of rural farm style people in, mm-hmm. in that Wisconsin and, and prairie stuff. So I think it was, they kind of went with the territory. I think they were not, were they Norwegian? Good little house in the prairie people? Gosh, or like I, in the, of Norwegian? I don't know. You might be thinking of, Kirsten, who is the American Girl Pioneer doll. Oh, definitely. And she was Swedish. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm definitely thinking of the American Girl. I'm confused. So. Yeah. Yeah. My sister was doing Kirsten. I love the really? Also, yeah, yeah. Also, very. So, mm-hmm. my grandma was actually an orphan or something along those lines. It yeah. seems like it, it's weird, it's unclear, but I think it was just <laughs> different family. They were sharecroppers. Yeah. And I think it was unclear 
follow the lineages, but we are Norwegian. That was okay. the family idea. And so they, on that side of the family, so they did Norwegian Christmas. And so I think the yes. American yeah. girls and Low House on the Prairie was somehow, yeah. it was their version, my family's version yeah. of Americana, which yeah. I thought about a lot as I was reading this. What, what Americana yeah. do you get as you read your childhood books? Yeah. So the Low House on the Prairie and then... I feel like I got was given a lot of Calvin Mulhans comics. Okay. As a kid. Solid which is, choice. Yeah. Yeah. When I was maybe a fourth grader and I was always trying to do that things that Calvin did, like <laughs> give my father a poll on, you know, how he was doing or I don't know. I no, copied a lot from Calvin. Yeah. We were big Calvin and Hobbes fans in my house. My older brother had a giant stuffed tiger that we all called Hobbes. Um, so that was yeah. Yeah, no, and and you're also you're not the first person to say Little House and Little Women were parallel to each other in your life. I'm also not surprised to hear that you were reading both the Kirsten books and Little House because they have the same illustrator. Oh, yeah, she's this amazing woman named Renee Grief who has one of the best Instagrams because she just she's always posting her delightful little pencil crayon sketches. I shouldn't say like that minimizes them. They're incredibly intricate little (laughs) pencil crayon sketches, but so highly recommend. And now, are you a Kirsten? Is that where you fall in the American Girl doll universe? The American Girls. So there was Molly. Was that my right? Was that with glasses? Yes, correct. Yeah. And there's Kirsten. Yeah. There was mm-hmm. a red-haired one. Felicity, yes. <laughs> right. There was a black girl. Who was a black girl? Addie, yeah. Abby. And then there was the, the Kirsten. Who am I missing? I mean, there's 20 of them now. There's 90s. Oh, there's 20. Yeah. There's, they just introduced 90s historical characters. Oh, okay. Twins from the Pacific Northwest, and one is Butch, and one is all in pink. I feel like when it came out, yeah. when I remember it, there was original four or five. Yeah. I, and I was not, yeah. I wasn't given an option to choose one. Right. I just read my sister's stuff. Yeah. And I remember also, oh, here's this thing that I read actually as yeah, a kid. Yeah. I read Saddle Club because my oh, sister was, yes. it was like the Babysitter's Club <laughs> spinoff was Saddle Club, you know? Yes. Oh my and God. My sister, my sister likes Saddle Club better than Babysitter's Club. So I read that <laughs> also, taking them from my sister. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I don't remember the personalities of America. Sure, sure. That's you, you know, know, that's fair. Yeah. I just and then the, to be honest, their personalities felt very. Well, Molly had glasses, so she yeah. must have been studious. <laughs> yeah, that's. So I don't know if I I can remember back enough to relate. Okay. To I'd be a lot better an answer if I was like, I'm definitely an at you know whatever. Right. Right. And it is. No, I understand. For some people, it either sort of. I only ask because you you have it seems like very clear memories of Kirsten. Yeah. Well, that, that yes. was the American girl who lived in our household. With yes, yes. <laughs> understandable. Yeah. So then in line with that question, having just read All of Little Women, and this is very exciting, which March sister are you? And keep in mind, for the purposes of this podcast, Lori is a March sister. I would say I'm like half Amy, half Lori. Oh, fantastic. Say. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is a great chapter to talk about with you then. Why are you... Amy, Sun, Lori, Moon, or the other way around. I don't know. I relate to Amy's, her sort of half desire to be popular, but also knowing that yeah. it's a little bit denigrates her a little bit, yeah. you know? Yeah. And wanting to be an artist, but discovering the differences between talent and genius and yes. all those sort of things. 
And I also think she's somewhat intrepid, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I know she didn't really choose to go to Europe, but I feel like, you know, she is the one who traveled and the one who, I think she's fairly intrepid. So I, I relate to her flaws and the way she seems to try and overcome her flaws. And then Lori, too, has very moody, you know? Yes. And I relate to Lori's moodiness. I relate to a little bit being spoiled, but in a way that's he's constantly a little bit thinking that he's special, you know? Yeah, And then has to kind of be like, actually, maybe I'm not that special, you know? Maybe actually my life is going to reject me. I'm like, you know, I'm not. The the stories that I'm telling myself don't perfectly correspond to reality because while everybody sort of dotes on him, I think he... He receives like some major rejections in the in the book. Yeah. And I kind of relate to that. Okay. Yeah. I certainly I have felt myself very much on the Lori side of the Joe Lori dynamic and the Joe side. I've been both parties and it and it's it's hard every time, but I definitely hear you. And I'm glad that you're talking to us right up top about Lori and Amy because this is the moment That's where it all Lori. happens. Yeah. <laughs> the Lori Amy chapter. It yeah. is. Lori yes. finally, after being courted by all of the March women. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, no, no, Meg at the beginning, everyone thought that the Meg and Lori yes. were going to together. That's so, right. right. So yeah. They thought yeah. Meg and Lori were the sure thing. Joe thought for a second Beth had a crush on Lori, and that turned out to just be projection or something. But yeah. No. It's all coming together here. They're going official. Tori, will you recap chapter 41, Learning to Forget? So this is basically after it's well, Beth has died in the previous chapter. And yes. also Lori has been told off by Amy. Also, those are like some yes. of the, I think, <laughs> the precursors to this, which I guess our listeners of your podcast already know this. But yes. for me, making sense of it was like to remember those things. And then basically Lori is in... Europe reflecting on why on both the speech that he was given by Amy about how he's a wastrel and you know his pain of of rejection from Joe and he basically is like I'm going to show Joe that she made a mistake I'm going to be a genius I'm going to (laughs) go you know write incredible music about her and then he goes and he's he can't quite write the incredible music. It yes. just isn't happening for him. It's not there. And then he's underneath a picture of Mozart and he remembers that mm-hmm. Mozart, when one sister didn't work out for Mozart, <laughs> Mozart just married his the other sister and he was like not in so many words, he's kind of like, Hey, if it's good enough for Mozart, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Which is actually quite presumptuous in a number of ways. Yeah. One, that he's Mozart, yeah. this guy who can't make any music, <laughs> then he's like, I'm just like Mozart. The sisters are, are, are swappable. Mm-hmm. But it turns out they kind of were swappable in, <laughs> in our works. Yeah. So they, so then he gets a letter from Amy saying that Beth has died and he runs to console Amy. And then he and Amy start hanging out and the chapter ends. I thought it was a pretty good marriage proposal, which is, so basically, I, this is something I noticed that Lucy May Alcott does a lot of this. She says, now in stories, it's supposed to go like this. Yes. And then she says what her story is supposed to be do. Yeah. So she was like, in stories, you're supposed to make a big speech. And Lori <laughs> was going to make a big speech for Joe. And you'd think that he made a big speech for Amy. But actually what happened is yeah. they were just in a rowboat and mm-hmm. they're rowing well together. And Lori says, would you like to row this way? forever and Mm -hmm. amy's like i do 
and that's yeah. the end of the chapter. And then they're an item. They're an they're item. Married. And well, they're married. They're engaged. Yes. Right? Yeah. I think yeah. what happens is the title of the next chapter is All Alone. So that's Joe being yeah. alone and miserable. And then the next chapter is Surprises. And the surprise is that Amy and Lori arrive and they're married. They're so, married. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't get a grand wedding scene with Amy and Lori. We just get this sort of quiet moment in the rowboat, which is interesting. And let's maybe start there the, at the end because this is, we, ha- we get sort of three marriages in this book. And mm-hmm. every time the proposal scene gets a little gender fucky. And here, what's interesting is that rather than Lori going down on one knee for Amy, they're rowing together. Amy offers to row and Lori says, well, I'm not tired, so that's not necessary. But if you want, you can sit beside me and take an oar. So it's immediately this incredibly egalitarian image of they're sitting side by side and they each have an oar and they're rowing together. And that's the way that Alcott introduces to us the idea of their marriage is that they're going to be sitting side by side performing the same duty. And it's, I don't know how I feel entirely about Lori and Amy. I guess we'll work through that together. This is therapy. (laughs) But it's nice that Alcott sort of flips the script in that respect. She's saying, even though Amy is the most traditionally feminine, this is not going to be a marriage where she doesn't work or doesn't pull her own weight, and he just looks after her. They each have a role together. And what do you make of that image, the rowboat? I mean, I feel like I was, it was the only marriage thing that moved me in the entire book. Yeah, okay. I did not, you know, Brooke and Meg and the sort of whole like discussion of, I mean, I found him kind of awful in the way and and the advice yeah. sort of, hey, look, you should always have food ready for him. But, you know, <laughs> hey, maybe also he can help out with the child rearing kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. That was a little bit of a hint of egalitarianness, I guess, because it was yeah. like, maybe you should help out with the kids, mm-hmm. Brooke. But it was still pretty, you know, you're lucky to have a man kind of. <laughs> yeah. And then I didn't really like that the professor told Joe, you know, not to write the, the naughty yep. stories. <laughs> I wasn't so into that. And so here was one that was, you know, they're very similar, right? They both have wanted to be genius artists. They didn't mm-hmm. actually work out as genius artists. They both yeah. sort of had the potential to be popular society people and they yeah. didn't really do it. And so there's a way in which they're well-fitted yeah. to each other. Their strengths have a similar strengths. Yes. And so why wouldn't they be egalitarian? Why wouldn't they both be rowing? You know, yeah. it made sense to me. And and that, and in the simplicity of, hey, do you want to do this with me? Mm-hmm. That actually felt real in a way that a bunch of the other proposals and yeah. speeches didn't. It just, yeah. <laughs> Are we going to do this? All right. Yep. You know, that was, it didn't make for a good speech, but it made for a lot. Yeah. It would be good in a rom com. That's like a good rom com. After all the tumult and this and that, then you just, it it turns out you don't need the big wedding. You just pull a oar and (laughs) that's the lesson. It was a super good rom com screenwriting (laughs) moment. Yeah. I agree. And it's funny. We talked with one of the actresses from the PBS adaptation of Little Women. And in that version, they're not in a physical robo, but Lori and Amy make little paper boats and the paper boats get stuck together in the river and they're going the same way stuck together. And they're like, oh, guess that's stuck with me. So it, it does. <laughs> seems like a budget issue on part of <laughs> <laughs> We might, I might, I think so, but it's, <laughs> so we have seen that on screen before in albeit lower budget form. <laughs> but what's interesting is that as soon as, so Amy says, how well we pull together, don't we? 
And Laura goes, oh, so well that I wish we may always pull in the same boat. Will you, Amy? Yes, Laurie. And then they both stopped rowing. And we can imagine what they did when they stopped rowing. It's, oh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that was a fade to black. That's like it a was. Fade, that's a, it's a fade to oh, black. Okay. They stopped rowing and unconsciously added a pretty little tableau of human love and happiness to the dissolving views reflected in the lake. And so they're making out in the boat. It's funny to, there's some earlier fade to black scenes between Meg and John Brooke, including one fade to black where it's nine months later, the twins arrive. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, we can, she leaves it up to your uh, imagination what they get up to in the boat. I think it's funny. These Alcott never, Alcott didn't have a lot of romance in her own life, right? She had, she said very late in her life that she'd been in love with ever so many pretty girls and never once the least little bit with any man. (laughs) And that was a reply to a question she was asked. She said, I feel as though I am by some freak of nature, a man's soul in a woman's body. Her interviewer asked her why, and she was like, well, for one thing, so many pretty girls. But then Earlier, much earlier in her life, she met a boy named Ladislas Wisniewski while she was traveling in Europe, who was one of the inspirations for Lori. And we know from her, her journals and letters that she kissed him and that they traveled together in Europe. But the page of her journal where she reflects on that relationship, she scratched it out so hard that she actually tore the paper. And it's unreadable. And in the margins, she wrote, couldn't be. So... <laughs> That's sort of all we know about Alcott's own romantic life. And she never married. She didn't seem to want to for various reasons. She didn't want to have biological children. So it's interesting to look at these love scenes or the proposals and kind of think about why Alcott is writing them this way or why every this scene seems incredibly deliberately to sort of efface the heterosexuality and the sentimentality from it and instead make it this very human moment that's not really gendered in any way. Although we do hear that Amy has to use both hands to row, where Laurie only has to use one. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of the only thing. But maybe it's, do you think it's, I don't know. I'm just thinking about, I don't know anything about this in my Alcott. I'm just learning this as you say it. But yeah. I'm also thinking about different ways that you can love people. Yeah. And that sometimes yeah. if you love people and you're like, I don't know if I want this person or really want to be them. Yes. And if she's yeah. with, and she's like, can't, it, it can't be. Yeah. If the question yeah. is, can't be, can we not be together or can we not be two? Yes. Yeah. Two handsome buddies <laughs> bopping right. around Europe, you know, <laughs> which in some ways <laughs> they're buddies in this. Like, oh. We're just two buddies yeah. in a boat, you know, <laughs> having a good time. Yeah, she doesn't even give us a majestic kiss. She just sort of fades out before that happens and lets you sort of fill in the blank as a reader. I, and I think you're very much onto something because the can we be two bodies palling around, that's a question that Joe actually poses to Lori. Can yeah. we be, let's run away together to India as two boys. It's a question right, that, I remember that the real life Lou Alcott posed to Alfie Whitman, who was another of the inspirations for Lori. And in this letter, which is insane, she's like, I just left my job as a governess, so I'm a gentleman about town. I'm free. And what do you say? You and I run off and be sailors on a boat somewhere. There was a real longing to be a boy with another boy, not even necessarily in a romantic sense, but just let's be boys and buddy around. That's (laughs) in some ways how this ends, right? Yes. The two of them running away on a boat. You know, the boat is a rowboat, (laughs) but they're running away together on a boat. Completely. Yeah. So there is... (laughs) And I kind of like that that's yeah. with, that who does that happen with? It happens with, with, it happens, yeah. with Amy, not with <laughs> Joe, right? Yeah. That, that there's actually not the sort of, oh, the boyish one 
Yeah, is the one you know. It's actually any any yeah. anybody can run away as buddies on a boat. And you know, that's you point to something so funny there, which is another thing that Alcott does in love scenes beyond just kind of move toward gender equality. <laughs> which obviously that explicit, we get a couple chapters of Meg being married and working through that and being like, John, you have to take care of the kids, kind of thing. Yeah. But in that fade to black sex scene with Meg that we talked about earlier. It comes on the heels of Meg has just splurged on all the silk for a new gown. Now John can't right. have a winter coat. She feels terrible. So she exchanges, she sells the silk, buys a winter coat, and then he comes home and she's wearing the winter coat. She's wearing the men's coat. And it's like, yeah, right. what do you think of my dress? And then fade to black and the babies appear. So it's in that sex scene, it's literally Meg is cross-dressing. <laughs> right. Alcott is like, now how would I? Mm. <laughs> yeah, and how like, to put on a sexy outfit, a great coat. A, a man's, great coat. A, a man's, man's great, great coat. coat. And it's so funny because I get the sense of when she's trying to imagine how love would work or what she would want, she puts this spin on it. That it's like, no, I don't yeah. want, I don't want the very traditional down on one knee thing. Even if that's what readers are expecting, I'm going to give you this instead, which is very, it's very interesting to me. And I feel actually like they get more that way as the book goes on. The yeah. first one, I remember there was, I mean, because the book is sort of chased in what it shows. Yes. I remember the first time that Joe comes in <laughs> and Mag is sitting on Brooke's lap. Yep. And I was like, on John Burke's lap, and I was like, whoa, that is forward. <laughs> that is a little, tone it down. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, but that was like very, yeah. you know, a man and his wife, you yes, know, a man very. and his wife and his man. And by the end, it doesn't seem like they're doing that as much anymore. Oh, yeah. You know, or maybe the success of the first book was like, I don't really have to. <laughs> You know, yeah. So the proposal, yeah, the proposal sort of ties up part one, and then the second half in the interim, basically Alcott got a zillion letters being like, "Who are the little women going to marry? Please tell me Joe is going to marry Lori." So it was these young girl readers who were very much expecting something, and she wrote this book in some ways to piss them off. <laughs> she uh, wrote very consciously. She was like, yeah. "I'm making a weirdo for Joe. Joe is not going to marry Lori. Yeah. That's not happening." Yeah. So it's interesting how so many readers from the original publication to now, see Joe and Lori as the very obvious thing and almost resent Lori and Amy getting together. They like, see it as like a pairing off of the spare parts. And I, I'm wondering, do you see Lori and Amy as a natural thing? You think that they're a good match. Why do you think Amy is a better match for Lori than Joe? I mean, this is all stuff again. This is new to me. Yeah, yeah. I never thought that Joe <laughs> and Lori really? were... I never thought they'd get together. Interesting, like, sort okay. Of like, I was like, this seems <laughs> to make them get together feels, yeah, like forcing two people yes. who, who yeah. really don't belong to mm -hmm. a kind of relationship that they shouldn't have. And, you know, the whole sort of sister brother metaphor yeah. from the start meant to me that I was like, yeah, they're not, they should not get together, you know, yeah. they're, and they're sort of like incest. I mean, not quite incest taboo, but there was no, something yeah. not, it would be like, forcing Joe into a, into a situation that really isn't her deal. Yeah. So I never thought that they were right for each other. And not having ever read the book, I thought it was going to be like a weird situation where early on when it was hinted that Meg was going to marry Laurie, I thought that the way the plot was going to go was that Meg was going to marry Laurie. And that uh -huh. in that marriage, Laurie would be closer to Joe. Right. And that would be yeah. a source yeah. of tension. I mean, one of the weird things was, for me with this book is that yeah. I found it to be 
almost experimental. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, where whereas it was happening, I was like, I mean, it's definitely very episodic. I was like, you know, knowing that I was reading for podcasts and I was like, okay, what's the plot of this book? And I kept mm-hmm. on waiting to sort of pick up plot threads. <laughs> Especially early on, there, there yeah. wasn't really no. plot threads. It it's was short just, stories, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and they were, it was super episodic, super, you know, well, that story just all wraps mm-hmm. up. Now we meet the characters again. And then also there's like all the sort of detritus of other forms that makes its way in, poetry yep. and songs and mm-hmm. letters and newspaper articles or whatever. Yep. <laughs> all just kind of in there. And so I was like, I don't actually, I actually don't know what this book is about. And so yeah. early on, I was like guessing what the plot would be. Ooh, and yeah, the, yeah. the little fragments of plot that were there <laughs> made me think that it was going to be a love triangle between Meg. Interesting. Laurie and Joe, which obviously <laughs> is totally wrong. <laughs> but that seemed to be the early goes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's going to be it. And mm-hmm. so then when that was frustrated, I had mm-hmm. really no expectations that Lori was going to marry any of them. Interesting. You know? Yeah. And in fact, it was like the whole chapter that we're talking about, it all felt super abrupt to me. Mm-hmm. You know, Meg's death was kind of off stage. There was, mm-hmm. you know, the way that Lori got over Joe was, it was really, it was like, I tried to write some music and I couldn't write music. Yeah, I wish that I could get over relationships by just not writing shit. That'd be great, you know? Amazing. Yeah. I failed at something else, and now I feel mm-hmm. wonderful. It, it was not that there was a scene at the end, but there were so few actual scenes and so few. It was all summary. It, it, so then when they did get together, I was like, wow, that was mostly off camera. Almost yeah. everything that happened yeah. was, was off camera. So. <laughs> Again, I guess that speaks to the idea that like it was not that natural to put them together mm-hmm. because they're how Lori or sort of organically gets over Joe is not clear. How yeah. Lori sort of truly falls in love with Amy other than swapping mm-hmm. sisters a la Mozart <laughs> yeah. is not very clear, you know? No. And you just sort of have to like, go with that logic and you're like, oh, I guess these two are together now. Mm-hmm. And you know, and in, in that he's rich and that Amy wanted somebody who's rich, I guess you're like, yes. well, it satisfies yeah. that parameter, which was clear from the start <laughs> that Amy had to marry a rich one. But mm-hmm. so I guess that was like a hidden clue that they were going to get together. But otherwise, yes. it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. It felt it didn't feel faded that they should get together. But it definitely no. yeah. also did not feel as bad as if I think <laughs> it had been the whole thing sure. about Joe. That's yeah. just for my feelings, which is apparently yeah. contrary to <laughs> hundreds of years, a hundred years or so years yeah. of us other readers. Yeah, it's so, I, and I, I love that you bring us to thinking about how Amy and Lori get together, which like you say off camera, it's pretty much the entire span of this one chapter. Yeah. Lori goes from heartbroken over Joe. He literally, I'm looking at it right now, that toward the end of the chapter, he says, Joe's sister was almost the same as Joe's self. <laughs> so in some ways, it's very unromantic. Which is not true. We just had no. the entire book differentiating that. <laughs> <laughs> Which really, yeah. I mean, you can point to similarities. Amy and Joe are both the more ambitious kind of, they're, they're ambitious. They have plans to travel and make art. So they- but the- other two are dead or married. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. So a couple of times, like, well, he couldn't have one sister. So he took the other in the 1994 movie, which where Christian Bale plays Laurie, which is interesting. If you've only ever seen Christian Bale as Batman, as I had, he gives Amy a speech that is just as you have always known that you were supposed to marry rich. 
I knew that I always had to be a March. So he's kind of saying, mm. you're the last one left. He, he says, I hate John Brooke. I hate the professor. If Beth had a lover, I would hate him too. <laughs> so it's, they make it very explicitly. He just wants to be a part of this family. And marriage yeah. is sort of the only re- reason he can do that. I think it's interesting that you're coming in as a newbie and you're seeing this love triangle and then that doesn't transpire. And then you have no idea where Lori's going. I, I agree. I don't think Joe and Lori belong together as a heterosexual couple in 1868. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and I think Joe very wisely is like, this isn't what I want from you. And it's heartbreaking for Joe, I think, because she does want Lori to be part of her family, but just not like that. And I wanted to reread Detransition Baby before we recorded this episode, because you, the key tension of that book, right, is, so just for anyone who hasn't read it, the people at home, Essentially, this character Ames gets his boss pregnant, and they're deciding what to do about the pregnancy. Ames discloses to his boss, Katrina, that he thought he was sterile because he used to live as a transgender woman. And I'm, I'm using Ames and he because like, that's where we are in the contemporary of, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, I so, use he pronouncing myself. Yeah. Ames has detransitioned and is like, I can't be a father. That is not happening. I can't be a father. I don't want to be a father. And the only way that Ames can figure out to sort of live with being a parent at all is to bring his ex-girlfriend in as a co-mother. So (laughs) it's this incredibly unconventional form of family making that they're engaging in. Because Ames says to Katrina, I am transgender, but it's simply too hard to live as a trans woman. Ames had been in, was like publicly beaten up on the street in a moment that was really difficult for him. And so he's put this part of him in a shelf and he's saying, I don't, I don't know if I will always be a man or if I will transition again. So with that very on the fly summary, and I apologize, Tori, because I'm saying it right to you. Well done. Well done. You should, you should be my publicist. (laughs) We come to little women and Joe loves Lori and Lori loves Joe and the traditional boy-girl romantic relationship is simply not happening for them. And it's so funny because <laughs> what ends up happening ultimately, and this is far, we're in sequel number three at this point, is Joe opens this school and then Lori goes and opens a college right next to it. And so then they and their families are all living on this big campus together. And Joe and Lori are still just the best of friends and have cute nicknames for each other. And they're all kind of raising their family in one big blob. <laughs> Which, interestingly enough, the way that Alcott's own family worked out is she, her older sister, the, the real-life Meg, her husband died. And Alcott wrote in her journal, I must be a father to these children. And kind of took on that role. And the kids would call her Papa. <laughs> and then later on, the real life Amy passed away and left a child, which then Alcott adopted and became a mother. So it was this, it's again, just I'm thinking about unconventional family structures and the way that in Little Women, we see both in the work and in Alcott's own life, kind of a rebelling against the traditional mother-father family structure. Do, do you detect any of that in Little Women? Did it prefigure detransition, baby? <laughs> I mean, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that was that stood out for me a lot in this book mm-hmm. was how religious it is. Yeah, you know, and how much the ideas of religion structured the family. Mm-hmm. And so, there's sort of like what the book said, especially mm-hmm. in these long speeches by Miss March about cares what the family should be, mm-hmm. and which I actually found, again, 
more moving than I expected. And I was like, this is actually really good life advice, even if it's couched in, in <laughs> you know, loving God a lot. And so there, what the book basically had was a very, never mind later on in there, because mm-hmm. I haven't read it, but early on, what you had was a very traditional battle. We had a, a, a mother yes. and a yeah. father and the father <laughs> situation. You know, he's the one who knows. He's the one who holds together the family. She, mm-hmm. you know, sacrifices for him, et cetera. That's the rhetoric around the family. <laughs> and then the reality in the book is that he's totally absent. Yeah, completely. Even when he, he comes home. At, yeah, even, no, that's what I <laughs> yeah. mean. When he came home, I thought something would change. But instead, he just basically, <laughs> here's who you girls are. And then he's, <laughs> you never hear about him. You just, yeah. He's bumbling around at, as a minister somewhere, mm-hmm. I guess, talking to whoever. <laughs> but not his daughters. And so there's like the rhetoric of here's the traditional family. And then it was almost like the traditional family couldn't bring herself to actually do it. She could yeah. say it, but she couldn't do it. And that was weird for me in terms of kind of family structures. And I have to say, I almost was like, this is precisely what I don't like is that when you preach a sort of traditional family and what mm-hmm. you end up when you preach this traditional family is an absentee father, you know? And so it was sort of like, living out sort of the faults of this very or, or dramatizing yeah. the faults of the philosophy while also protesting yes. that this is actually working. <laughs> yeah. So that the Mr. March character really didn't do much for me because he wasn't there. And the family structure didn't, as it was <laughs> preached, did not really do much for me. It's interesting to think about it as an alternative family also though, because I've also been thinking about myself Mm-hmm. The idea of gentleness in men that is, yes. you know, was really a 19th century sort of, the men were really supposed to be gentle. They were, they, yes, yeah. they were strong, but they really like the ideal man is a very gentle man. Yeah. He's not yeah. macho. He's not, and you can rely on him and you can lean mm-hmm. on him, but he's not. And, and so in that Mr. March was that, I w- I found that really interesting, but it almost made him so retiring and gentle that he couldn't exist. Yeah. yeah. He's a very sort of a ghostly figure in the book. He's physically not there, as you're saying for the first part. Then when he returns, you're expecting something to change and he just disappears. And he's so gentle. There are parts where he's called upon to perform family duties and he can't. And Joe has to step in for him and literally be the man of the household. She says as much in the book, right? I think another thing that's interesting is that, well, we have this kind of all-female family making it work in the form of the marches, very much against what they're preaching about how marriage is the sweetest thing that can happen to a woman. We don't see the march parents' marriage in action, really. And Lori's parents are dead, right? He's being raised by this grandfather who really seems to resent his presence and a tutor. So Lori's in this all-male world, and he seems kind of drawn into this all-female family next door, right? And in this chapter, we hear a lot about how he's, while he's heartbroken, he's tempted to take up, he's to go to the devil and take up all kind of manly temptations. (laughs) But it's like Alcott says, because so many women have loved him and he has the March family women in his heart, basically, his proximity to their womanhood sort of makes him good, and present and prevents mm. him from erring as other men might do. And so I just, th- this was another reader question, but it's something I'm always thinking about with Lori too, is this notion of Lori as a trans feminine figure. Did you read that in Lori at all? No. Okay. I mean, I can see it, but I yeah. didn't. I think I saw Lori much more the way that previously you, we posited that he's sort of an ideal boyish character. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like I have these friendships before I transitioned 
And so I made them younger, but different than our cop. But I had these friendships with men, mm-hmm. oftentimes charismatic, handsome men, where mm-hmm. I would be, it, it, we were like a, a couple, but in like yeah, a, yeah. We buddies, but we were also, it wasn't totally equal. And it, right, right. It, and I never knew, and I never quite knew how to make sense of it. I was really drawn to books like Brideshead Revisited and things like mm-hmm. that, where you yeah, know, you've got yeah. the Sebastian character who's so charismatic and you've got, you know, the Sebastian Flight and oh my God, I'm blanking out on the oh my, Julia? writer. Yeah, writer. I yeah, was thinking of the Charles sister. Charles <laughs> Ryder. You know, but yeah. the Sebastian Flight, the, mm-hmm. the charismatic one who sort of follows around the charismatic boy. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, in some ways, even Gatsby is, you know, yeah, all yeah. around the charismatic boy. And mm-hmm. I sort of thought of Laurie as very much the charismatic boy in that okay. kind of thing. Yeah. And that Joe was Charles Ryder or Joe yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah. So that it, was Nick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and Laurie was a kind of Gatsby. You know, especially as he could go and do all these things that they couldn't mm-hmm. do and he was rich and et cetera, et cetera. And so those are like literary models that I saw in him and for mm-hmm. them to work, he could be queer. Certainly Sebastian yeah, yeah. is queer <laughs> and Gatsby's got some stuff going on. He does. But yeah. I think he had to be sort of, and he wasn't exactly, neither of them were exactly met, right? That's yeah, the other yeah. thing about right. Sebastian carried around a teddy bear his entire life because he was always <laughs> sort of like an eternal boy. Yeah. Aloysius. Yeah. And that's how I saw Laurie, that Laurie couldn't ever quite be a man. And in that he couldn't be a man, you could say that there's something queer in that, or there's something that chimes with trans femininity, that Mm -hmm. you can't ever quite be a man. But in that he wanted to be a woman, I don't know. I don't feel that as much. I feel that if he was to be an eternal boy, the Mm -hmm. March sisters are the place of his boyhood. And in order to stay an eternal boy, he must remain with them. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's the Sebastian flight or yeah. uh, <laughs> model. Then I see Larian more than I see him. I just I don't see him as a girl. Yeah, I understand. I can see that as well. I think a lot of the conflict at the heart of Little Women is Joe not wanting to be a woman, right? But equally, yeah. not wanting to grow up and yeah. and not because especially because growing up for her means having to be somebody's wife or somebody's mother, and those are roles that she's very much not comfortable in. I think. Transmasculine Joe is something that people can, that's the case kind of makes itself in the text, right? It's just, yeah. I, I do see, I think Greta Gerwig in discussing her versions of Joe and Laurie says, Joe and Laurie find each other before they've committed to a gender. And she has notes in their script about how when they're dancing, sometimes Joe is the man and sometimes the woman, same with Laurie. So I think it is, I, I see, especially early on, Laurie, he says he doesn't like boys. He doesn't like getting along with them. He wants to go and be a part of the March sisters games. And I think that's an interesting take on the characters. I do see, you know, there, there are things like Lori says he doesn't like boys. They're noisy and rough. And he didn't get along with the boys at his old school. They called him Dora, short for Theodore. <laughs> yeah. So there is something. I did not that. Yeah. There's something not quite man about Lori. And he just takes to the marches. And I think what's interesting here is when he's, trying to get over Joe, and he's trying to imagine her as the heroine of his opera. He can only recall Joe's oddities, faults, and freaks, her most unsentimental aspects, beating mats with her head tied up in a bandana, 
barricading herself with the sofa pillow, throwing cold water over his passion. And instead, his mind shifts to this like very feminine Amy prototype. <laughs> right. So I almost feel with Lori and Amy, there's a femme for femme thing going on. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, oh, yeah, I could see that. What about... Uh-huh. Okay, so I'm going to go back to my thing where I think it's yes. really more about age than gender. Which and, makes sense, yeah. Let me give you as well. a parallel reading. Okay. Which is, why does, why did, for me, did mm-hmm. being with, why is Joe and Lori always feeling wrong? And I think the reason that it always yeah. feels wrong is if they got together, and is it neither, their friendship is a childhood friendship. It's not yes. an adult friendship. Mm. And that if they got yeah. together they would have to both be adults. As man and woman, they would be adults. And so they could never get together because Joe doesn't want to grow up and actually Lori doesn't want to grow up either. And so, but he thinks that he has to grow up because that's what everybody tells him he has to do. So then what happens is, and this is actually an extremely traditional reading that I'm I'm about (laughs) to say, but is that essentially, but I think the book bears it out. I actually don't, didn't find the Lori thing that queer but but so <laughs> they couldn't grow up they couldn't get married because that would make them grow up and yeah. so what happens is essentially then he goes to amy and amy yeah. gives him a speech that is grow the fuck up that's right and then yeah when yeah. he when he grows the fuck up mm-hmm. suddenly he's like oh i can't be with boys forever i must yeah. be with a woman here is the feminine woman who i can be with and i will become a man with her that's yes. makes yeah. him a man. Yeah. And mm. going back to the Sebastian Flight Brideshead, I, I realize this came before <laughs> Brideshead, but in it, I read them the other ways I see it. That is exactly the idea yeah. of yeah. Brideshead, where Charles Ryder falls first in love with a boy, and they say he's the forerunner, that the boy <laughs> teaches him how to love. And then it's because he learns how to love from the boy that he can finally mm. be with the woman, Julia. And then in that one, they say that actually where he really should be with is God. And they name up with God instead. <laughs> but, the, but here, all cops, all her religiosity mm-hmm. does not make them work to each other. But basically, yeah. I would say that Joe is the boyish training to teach before he, he could be a man with Amy. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. and because nobody wants him to be a man is why it's all happening off screen anyway. That would be my reading of it. Yeah. Like, I would love to do, I would love to do a femme for femme, Lori's, you know, trans femme and, and he's <laughs> in like a, they're like just high style with their parasols on the boat. Yeah. That's, yeah. that would totally be my jam. Mm-hmm. I just, it yeah. isn't the model that I read in the text, which is yeah. probably disappointing for readers who would love to hear a femme for femme, Lori. No, it's Amy. fine. I mean, I think. No, I'm disappointing, disappointing myself even, but I really it's think okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we're getting into the part of the book now where we are disappointed, right, by some of the choices that Alcott is making. I think Professor Bear remains a big disappointment for me. Yeah. I've heard from readers who are passionate defenders, so I'm never (laughs) I never want to talk too much shit. But I think the force of Joe's refusal to marry Laurie and saying, not just you anybody. This is just simply not the life for me. It's just really undercut by Professor Bear coming in, even if Joe gets to essentially propose to him and dictate the terms of their marriage and say, if you marry me, I need to have a career. I need this and this. I need a room of my own. It's just, we're, we're coming to the end of the book where really the more radical 
parts of this book are sort of giving way to the sentimental, let's wrap things up in the usual way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I hear you. And I think the disappointing reading is there on the page in many ways. I think it lies there. I think Maybe we can fanfic ourselves into a femme for femme reading. <laughs> I certainly. I, mean, I should have done it. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I. I'm sure yeah. the reading I've done has been done by scholars so many times. So that, no, I just. Yeah. I think no, and I think it's there. I think maybe part of the reason why so much of it happens off camera is that Alcott was not having a particularly good time doing it. <laughs> yeah, her heart. Like I would do yeah. not feel that the heart was in it in in this scene. Yeah. No. I see her making peace with it the best she can. I think. It's funny, some of the most detailed sequences we get are of Lori getting over Joe. She wants to just illustrate to people one more time, this isn't going to work. Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) Yeah. It's, yeah, it's funny. I, if we think about the way the first book ended, right? Meg and John Brooke have a more traditional, a far more traditional marriage proposal. They're betrothed. Joe is unhappy about this, and Lori essentially proposes to be her friend forever, and then they'll go travel around the world when he graduates from college. So it's this parallel proposal, but it's entirely platonic. And he's proposing Mm -hmm. adventure, and we said earlier, running around as two boys, (laughs) basically. And ultimately, they can't have that, and that's sad. And yeah, I I think as we get closer to the end, these little disappointments are just going to keep piling up. I think we kind of have to take what we can get in terms of Alcott really trying and going out of her way to make this really egalitarian. Yeah, They're rowing together. They're sitting side by side. It's very much not that Lori has overpowered and seduced Amy. That's not it at no. all. If anything, the opposite. And the support that he provides to Amy is emotional, right? He's there to for her to lean on. So it's a good model in that way of maybe a boy providing or a man providing emotional support and listening empathetically to a girl. But ultimately, and I think being told what to do by yes, her. Yes, completely. Like, yeah. <laughs> she calls him a wastrel and tells him to grow up and he more or less listens, right? And it's this, yeah. what he's been taught by women kind of enables him to get through this sad time in his life without, I don't know, going to any European opium dens or whatever it would be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So reading it back, I can make peace with Amy and Lori, certainly to a much greater degree than I can Joe and Bear. I'm fine with this. Even without doing my fun fanfic reading, (laughs) I'm fine with what's happening on the page here. But since I didn't do it, yeah. why don't you, I feel like the reader should get a femme for femme from you. I I shouldn't have poo-pooed it. Please. So my femme for femme reading here is basically with Lori, there is a feminine impulse always. Even before he meets the March sisters, even before he enters the story, he's being bullied and called Dora by his schoolmates. And he says he hates boys. He hates socializing with boys. He simply doesn't fit in. And he's able to assimilate into the March family very easily and kind of become one of the crew. He especially benefits from being able to call Marmy mother. He idolizes her. He looks up to her. So it's he's really relishing in getting to have these relationships with women and girls for the very first time in his life and to not be in an all-male environment for the first time in his life. We learn mm-hmm. that he wants to be a musician like his late mother. That's very important to him. That's mm-hmm. We learn almost nothing about his father except that he loved this Italian woman enough to get disowned, (laughs) right? Yeah. But the person that he idolizes and wants to be like is his mother. For all he's talking about Mozart here, it's like where he got that from is his mother who was an Italian pianist. So 
there's wanting to be with women, wanting to be like a woman in the sense that he wants to be like his mother. And the interest, it being into music, being very into flowers. He takes Joe through the greenhouse and is like, I need to explain to you what all these blossoms mean. <laughs> I think Lori fits very naturally in with the March sisters. And Joe, I think, and is, is drawn to Joe for that, that the fact that Joe represents a model of gender nonconformity. She isn't someone that he has to relate to necessarily as a girl. Wow. And as he grows up, he does seem to more easily fit in with boys when he gets to college. He has a lot of college friends who are coming home. He makes this proposal to Joe. He's sort of following the path that's set for him, it seems. Well, whereas Joe has much more difficulty fitting into the role of a woman. Even as she grows up, it's still, she's just not about it. And she seems very bent no. on not marrying at all. But I think you could read in that in Lori, a real desire to have a family over a career. Even now, there's no sense that he's involved in his grandfather's business at all. No. He, Yes, he's interested in music and opera, but not as much to make a career for himself as to express something about how he feels. And then it's only that when he comes around and starts spending time with Amy again in private, and again, it takes on, he's providing an, an emotional support for her. He's rowing side by side to her. I think what you said before about how Amy tells him to grow up and he does and becomes a man through Amy. I think that's very true. But I also think that what we see here is a, a lot of Lori and Amy having a lot of private time where Lori can be like, yeah, I don't actually have to row this boat all by myself. You can sit next to me. So in, it's in a way of sort of the expectation there that he be a man is a little bit yeah. lower than it might be. So that's my trans femme reading of Lori. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, no, I mean, I, yeah. I think, yeah, I see it. I see mm -hmm. it. I should definitely say that Brides had revisited <laughs> what is basically mm -hmm. my little woman. So I yeah. have a tendency to yeah. see everything in the Brides had revisited yeah. model of the world, which is mm -hmm. just my own personal bias. Yeah. No, and, and I think you can definitely read that dynamic here. I, I loved what you said about how the boy taught him love and then the girl made him a man. We don't get the next step, which Lori never goes to God, as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think Joe, if we, Joe is the boy who kind of teaches him nurturing and emotionality and love. And then Amy is the person who can be the wife and the next step, which is interesting to me. Yeah. Cause even now I don't get the sense that Lori is a fully conventional man. No. Yeah, well, Tori, I mean, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you online? How can they support you in your work? What's going on? I'm like not that much online these days. Okay, yeah. But I have this book, yeah, and Transition Baby, can read yep. that. <laughs> and then I'm, what am I doing? I, I'm obsessed with building a sauna right now. So it's like Ooh. the least, yeah, I think the least like share with other, with the world kind of thing. I'm like in a very, honestly, inward looking place yeah. so mm -hmm. i have this land in vermont and my big project i, I went to finland on a book tour this summer and i mm -hmm. tried a sauna yeah and i got obsessed with it like i never understood <laughs> bath, yeah. bath house series i was like mm -hmm. why would you get you know <laughs> i don't want to be sweaty with people whatever but mm -hmm. the fans of this ritual for sauna and i got mm -hmm. super obsessed with it and i've been trying to build and i don't know how to build i've been like learning mm -hmm. construction but in order to build <laughs> A true Finnish sauna next to a stream, like a wood-fired traditional Finnish sauna. I'm so jealous. <laughs> that is actually what I'm really into. Like, I wanted like pro, 
you know, promote my book or, mm-hmm. or um, the other things. But okay. in fact, I'm not writing my book because I'm mostly obsessed with sauna. Okay. And so I have nothing to promote other than <laughs> I will sauna for a year. Okay. And then you can probably find me on Instagram at Tori Peters, you know, on Instagram. <laughs> okay. But I doubt that I'll yeah. be there for a while because the hmm. sauna is really my everything. Okay. So is there some way that people can Venmo you Home Depot gift cards, anything like that? Oh. Like- <laughs> You should be able to do. Don't, I don't want mm-hmm. anyone to go to gift cards. I want people to go find the finished sauna. Mm, okay. In, in near you, try out mm-hmm. a finished sauna, which is it's in 12 minutes, super high heat. Yep. Then you throw some steam on, then you get in the <laughs> plunge bath, and Oof. the temperature drops give you actual euphoria. Oh my God. Your body gets messed up and doesn't know what to do. So we yeah. feel weird about this temperature change. <laughs> Let's fix it by just releasing tons of endorphins. Yeah. And I think if people get a bunch of endorphins out there in the world, that is, I care much more about that than my own deep okay. So go do a sauna Fantastic. and feel like you're doing it for me. Okay. Yeah. Hear that, everyone? That's your homework. Is that the Wim Hof method? It's not the Wim Hof method. It's Wim not Hof the Wim doesn't Hof do a sauna. No, Wim Hof just goes straight for the cold water. Okay. And it's just <laughs> gritting, you know, pure pain and stuff. If you do a sauna right, the mm-hmm. cold feels like joy. Okay. And the heat is, it's lovely. It's not okay. a, it's not a endurance suffering thing. It's a being in your body. Fantastic. Truly thing. Okay. Yeah. So I will definitely seek out the finished sauna in my area. Thank you for that, Tori. Sure. As always, I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. You can find me online at peytonthomas.ca. I'm also, I'm on, I'm taking a little baby step back into social media. I'm on Instagram at regular Peyton. You can buy my book, both sides now, wherever you buy Detransition Baby package deal just go for it yeah <laughs> and that's you what can, else you can do for me you can people can get in your book that, that yes would. thank you tori yeah <laughs> detransition baby is quite a bit more nsfw i mean <laughs> my book is <laughs> for little high schoolers who are figuring out how to wear a binder for the first time and yours is kind of in a different stratosphere but i'm gonna say oh, good right. package deal people like people tell me like that your book is not allowed in high schools so i'm like yeah <laughs> i can't <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, I think that's one. It's like, maybe wait till college. There's yeah, a time and a place but, for everything, and it's called college to read Detransition Baby. <laughs> no, but I, I love it. I, I endorse it wholeheartedly. Yes, sorry. Thank you. And if you're 12 and you want to read it, share. Go ahead. You know. <laughs> okay. You're not going to stop you. Okay. And you can find the podcast on Instagram. We're at Joe's Boys Pod. Before I recorded this episode with Tori, I did a Q&A for Tori. We had a couple reader questions in here. So if you want to be able to ask future guests your questions, you need to be following us at Joe's Boys Pod. That's about all. Thanks so much, everyone. And thank you again, Tori. And we will see you next week.